Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. This week, we're asking, how can we help kids build resilience right now? We all know that the pandemic has caused many of us to experience profound losses, jobs and businesses, daily routines, and far too many of us have lost loved ones. This month, our other show, White Coat Black Art, has hosted Prescription for Resilience, stories of Canadians who have coped with the stress of COVID by tapping into their inner strength. Nancy Heath from McGill University's Faculty of Education is the James McGill Professor and Associate Dean for Research and Innovation. She's an expert in mental health at all levels of the education of kids. Nancy, welcome to The Dose. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to speak to you, too. You're studying the pandemic and how it's affecting kids in Quebec. Describe what you've seen so far. We really are looking at how students are doing through this period. And we started, I was, I've always been studying students' mental health for over 20 years. And so last year, I was already monitoring student well-being at the university and high school level. And then the pandemic hit. And what we saw, Brian, was not exactly what you would expect. Because what we saw was that those students who had prior mental health difficulties were holding their own. They were maintaining the same level, which is not ideal because they had mental health difficulties. But we had anticipated they would be hit the hardest, but they were not. It was individuals, students without prior mental health difficulties that were really negatively impacted. And I think this is because they had not perhaps built up prior resilience or coping abilities to deal with these kind of stressors. So we saw a sharp dip. So some students are really finding it tremendously difficult, whereas others are actually thriving. So we can't generalize. We have to look at the individual student or, in the case of parenting, our own child to interpret how they're doing and to really learn how they're coping don't project your own issues on your child. We'll get to to the role that parents can play, and uh, especially as they deal with their, their own troubles. But, but that's striking that some kids are faring better during the pandemic. Can you say a little bit more about why that might be? What we are seeing in sort of qualitative interviews is that what has been released for students, what has been lightened, expectations by parents by teachers, by universities, have been lowered. So we know that kids, students of all ages, their well-being is impacted by social stressors. Now, a lot of those social stressors have been lightened as they're more isolated, and academic stressors, which have been lightened because everyone is demanding less of students. So for the students where that day-to-day experience was really negative, interacting with peers, dealing with exams, dealing with the demands of day-to-day. 
being at home 50% of the time or all of the time, depending on the context, can actually be a tremendous relief. The pandemic is certainly a, a cataclysmic event for all of us. You know, we have had other or certainly other parts of the population have, have dealt with cataclysmic events of, of similar magnitude. Uh, when we look back, for instance, at 9-11 or even further back to World War II, the London Blitz and, and other conflicts, what do we know about how resilient young people were during those crises? What we know from history in terms of these really challenging societal level, like you said, the Blitz or 9-11, is in the short term, you actually have a decrease in severe mental illness because what's happening is there's a tremendous sense of shared experience or community or belonging. Because now, for the same as we saw in the Blitz or 9-11, there was actually a decrease in suicide during that first intense period because individuals felt connected to others in a meaningful way, and they had a purpose. As a society, sort of overall, we see an increased sense of well-being and connectedness on a more global level. So as much as you have these mental distress, mental illness actually does not increase substantially during these periods. After that this period, it's kind of like, you know, when you get through a really hard time and you hold yourself together and everyone sort of pitches in and helps you and you help each other and then it's over. And then there tends to be a little bit of a fallout where people are back to the day to day and the after effects. Is this something that parents and teachers need to be watching for? Do they need to be monitoring their kids for distress? Or, or do they need to be monitoring their kids for, for signs of mental illness? Can you help explain the difference? I think for a parent or a teacher, we cannot differentiate when it's a mental illness and when it's mental distress. And it's not our role to do that. What we need to do as a parent or a teacher is to make sure that our children or students are able to communicate their distress to us. As a parent, our go-to is when my daughter or son says to me, you know, they're really upset, they're very angry, a huge outburst, or they're sobbing. My immediate feeling as a parent is so much worry about my child that I go straight to problem solving oh, I'm sure you could do this. Have you tried this? Maybe we should do this or minimizing. That's not that bad. Don't make it worse than it is. And what we're telling them is your distress is not valid and don't talk to me about it. Instead, we have to open up the communication and validate. So when they show this distress, we have to learn to be okay with listening to that and then saying, validating and saying, I understand you're going through a really hard time. You know, this is so difficult for you to be at home trying to learn online, you know, missing your friends. This is so hard. Let them feel what they're feeling. And then as that comes out, you'll be able to better judge if it's sufficiently worrying that you need to get a mental health professional involved. The time that you know to do that is if it is continuous so that it's happening frequently, multiple times every day and week, 
it's so affecting their functioning day to day that they are unable to sleep, they're unable to study, they're unable to do normal, regular things. And you're clearly seeing that this is something that is significantly different for your child. You've developed five tips or techniques to help parents and and other people who are involved in a child's life help build resilience. What are those techniques? First of all, I think the main sort of core of this is that you as a parent need to take care of yourself because you cannot model or teach strategies or support healthy coping to your child if you yourself are really struggling. So number one is taking care of yourself. So once I'm okay myself as a parent, I want to model for my child the following strategies. First, we need to be able to take a pause or a break and not worry about what's coming all the time. So using strategies to be able to be just in this moment, because this moment may be okay. Strategies around mindfulness, strategies around breathing techniques, it could be hobbies, activities. So pause break is number one. The second one is really the enhancing positive emotions. Too often, we focus on trying to decrease negative emotions, which, you know, is very hard to do. But we do know that we can build strength and resilience in difficult times by really savoring the ever so perhaps brief positive moments. It could be my first sip of coffee as a parent in the morning. As a student, it could be a cuddle with a pet, small moments. The next key point strategy is kindness to others. The idea of doing something for someone else, we know builds our own wellness and resilience. And finally, social connections are essential to all of us for our well-being. Finding ways and permitting our children to connect with others in whatever safe way we can. If you give the overarching message to your child that you love them, even if you're, you know, you're a bit of a wreck yourself, <laughs> and you believe that you and they will get through this and you will be okay, then they will have that solid foundation to navigate. They'll be okay. Nancy, can you give me a real-world example? Uh, let's say that, that your child is having a meltdown about not finishing a school assignment. What might a parent do under those circumstances? A great scenario that you gave, because it's so common as a parent. I've lived through it myself many times. Think of what we actually do. Pause and reflect on what you normally do. And I think, you know, even with all my training, as a parent, what I think to do right away is to say, well, you know, stop getting so upset about it and sit down and work on it. Then you'll get it done. You know, it's not helping you to have a fit. But what I'm doing is I'm minimizing what she's feeling or he's feeling. So instead, step one, I need to let them you know, be upset, not give the message that sharing upset with me is unacceptable. So I say, oh, it's really hard. I can see, you know, you feel so stressed by this. 
what is it about this assignment that you're so worried about? So allowing them to explore why they're so upset. We may think this is terrible. We're letting them just get more and more upset. But the reality is these emotions come like waves. And if we allow them to go up and they they will peak and they will come down. When they wind down and you've been there in a supportive way, you haven't sent them to their room, you haven't in any way told them it's not okay to be upset, then you say, so what are you thinking that you're going to do about this? How do you want to go forward? What can I do to support you? Let them lead in the problem solving. The more we lead, the more they get the message, it's not okay to be upset. I don't believe you can problem solve. You need me. You're not okay on your own. And those are all the things that, that you need to avoid. That, that, that's really good advice. Um, keep in mind, of course, that during a pandemic, it's not just kids who are having a distress. Parents are having it too. Uh, you know, financial stress, working from home, maybe even illness, you know, illness in themselves, a loved one. Uh, kids pick up on that. So how much should you share with them about the distress you're going through as a parent? This is a huge issue I hear from the parents I I work with, is that they're not in a good place. And then trying to support their child is even harder. So it's fine to get upset. In fact, it's beneficial for your child to see you get upset, because otherwise they think, am I the only one getting upset? Let your upset show and then model how you cope with it. So I have a really bad Zoom meeting and I get off and I say, oh, this is so frustrating. I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. And then model what your urge is. Say, I just really want to go and just sit down and eat a whole bag of chips and say to heck with the rest of the day. I've had it. And then say, okay, but you know what? I'm just going to take a walk and say to your child, you know what? I'm just going to go up to my room or I'm going to take a walk, whatever is actually something you enjoy doing and say, I'm just going to take a few minutes to calm down. I really need to just take a breath and try and put this in perspective. Where the road splits to what you share with your child and what you don't is that your child needs to feel that, yes, you're upset. Yes, you're worried. Yes, you're having a hard time but you're going to be okay, even if in your head you're not sure. So save the real catastrophizing for your friend or your partner or your family member, but not your child, because you need to be the safe haven in the storm. If we're going to all have it, sometimes you don't, you respond in the completely unhealthy way, you have a complete angry outburst, you, you know, eat three bags of chips, the chocolate cake to boot, that's okay. You reflect on it and say, that was a really bad day. I had a really hard time. That wasn't a good way of coping with it. I'm going to try next time to do this and this. And, you know, I'm going to put these situations in place. I'm going to call, you know, Sarah, my friend next time. Model how you're going to try and do better next time. We hope this pandemic will end and soon. What are the long-term impacts on this generation of school-age kids that concern you the most? What concerns me most is for young adults, so university students, that they're missing a window of opportunity that developmentally we know is critical. That is a period in emerging adulthood from 18 to about 25 where they try many different friendships and relationships, many different roles, 
many different partners, and they potentially are going to miss that period. I'm not sure what's going to happen developmentally. I expect it will shift and they'll do it in the five years later and they will not move into full adulthood until a little later. As parents, we have to support them in that and understand that may happen. For younger children, I'm not so concerned about what's going to happen in the after effect. I think, in fact, they're going to be strengthened. And even the university students, we know that children and youth who face challenges actually build more effective coping in the long term. And the next challenge, they do better. Wrapping our kids in cotton wool actually harms them. Now, this is a tremendous challenge. But even so, they will weather it. And coming out They, as long as we keep giving them the message, I believe you're going to do okay. You may have a different path than anticipated, but you will be okay. They will be, and they will feel stronger. We've shared some incredible stories of resilience uh, on White Coat Black Art. Do you have, by any chance, a story that you might share from your own experience during the pandemic? For me, I think my biggest struggle has been to literally consciously, and I think a lot of parents will recognize this, to say I what they say about the airplane, right? You can't help your child until if you have don't have your mask on. So I have to take care of myself. So what I'm telling, you know, parents about take care of yourself first, it applies to mental health professionals, I had to learn to carve out time every day to take care of my own mental health so that I had something to give. So make sure you put on your own oxygen mask first. That's a pretty big message. Do you have any other big messages that you want parents to get when it comes to building their child's resilience? I would say my main message to parents, you are not going to build your child's resilience if you are spending time beating yourself up for not being a good enough parent. Have self-compassion. And what I say to all the parents I'm talking to during this difficult time, if your parenting is okay, passable, you are doing an amazing job. That's a good note to end on, Nancy Heath. Thank you very much for speaking with me. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. That was Nancy Heath from McGill University's Faculty of Education. She's the James McGill Professor and Associate Dean for Research and Innovation. Professor Heath says some kids are feeling more distressed from being socially isolated from their peers, but others may be feeling better because they have more time to take care of themselves and because they may have fewer school assignments during the pandemic. Parents need to respond to their child's distress, whether it's from a missed assignment in class, conflict with a friend or sibling, or anything else. Acknowledge your child's distress. Don't invalidate it by dismissing or trivializing it. Resist the urge to solve the problem that caused the distress. Professor Heath has several tips to help your child deal with distress. Support and empathize with your child. Teach your child to press pause on distress by noticing something good that happened or have them take a break by cuddling a pet or something else that's pleasurable. Model good behavior. For instance, if you have a Zoom meeting that goes off the rails, show your child that you get frustrated too, but use that to teach a healthy coping strategy like going for a walk. As a parent, you might be going through a serious crisis due to the pandemic. If you're sad or worried, 
be real with your child. But in addition to that, what they need to hear is that you'll get through it. Most kids will come out of the pandemic just fine. Professor Heath is somewhat more concerned that university students are missing important social and professional milestones, but she believes they'll catch up once the pandemic ends. Remember what they say at cruising altitude with the sudden loss of cabin pressure. Put your own oxygen mask on first before helping your kids. Here on Earth, that means parents need to take care of themselves first to be able to take care of their kids' emotional needs. And if you mess up, be kind to yourself. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. And if you want to hear some personal stories of resilience during the pandemic, check out our series, Prescription for Resilience, Coping with COVID, at cbc.ca slash whitecoat. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Sujata Berry, Willow Smith, and Donna Dingwall, with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Stefano Prischko for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.